Take your Bibles this morning, please, and turn to Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter number 2 is where we'll be this morning. Again, I appreciate that special. What a blessing. Acts chapter number 2. I am going to do my best this morning to uh, set the stage up for Pastor Woodard tonight. And what I mean by that is after you've heard me preach this morning, you'll understand that it can only go up from there. And so... We'll be in Acts chapter number 2. I was just a moment ago looking up in the balcony looking for my wife, and I didn't see her. And so I noticed she's actually back in the corner back there interpreting. She knows sign language, and so I'll have to see how many eight-syllable words I can work into my sermon this morning. And that'll be a good time. Acts chapter number 2. If you have it, we're going to begin reading in verse number 22 this morning. Acts 2. And begin reading in verse number 22. The Bible says this, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be able to preach thy word this morning. Lord, I recognize my insufficiency. So Lord, I pray that you would put me behind the cross this morning, that the Holy Spirit of God would take control, would allow me to simply be thy mouthpiece. Lord, I pray that your will be done, and that you would have your way in this service. For we would ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to Acts chapter number 2, we find that there are several things that have recently taken place. By uh, To give you a little background of our text, before we come to Acts chapter number 2, we find that the Lord Jesus Christ at this point has already been crucified, has been buried and risen again for the sin of the world. He has shown himself to be alive by many infallible proofs among many witnesses. After his resurrection, he was seen among many witnesses. In the previous chapter, in Acts chapter number 1, we find the disciples have gathered around, gathered around the Lord Jesus Christ and has received final instructions before watching the Lord Jesus Christ ascend into heaven. And this is where he is alive forevermore. The Bible says that Jesus at this very moment is at the right hand of the Father for alive forevermore, making intercession for us. And as they gathered around the Lord, they received final instructions. In chapter number 1, we find that the final instruction that the Lord gave to his disciples was to be a witness of the glorious gospel in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. Now, you need to understand, you and I must understand this morning, that this same commission, this same instruction that God had given to His disciples is the same instruction that He has given to each and every one of us who are saved this morning. We have a responsibility to give the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to Jerusalem, to our area, our community, and then into Samaria, to the uttermost part of the earth. And then the Lord tells them that they are to be witnesses, but He says that they need only wait for the filling of the Holy Spirit. 
And then they can go out in power as witnesses. It was important that the Lord Jesus Christ told them before they are to go out, before they are to be a witness, He tells them to wait, to tarry in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. The Lord thought it so necessary, so needful, that before they witnessed, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Not to go out in their own strength and in their own power, but to go out with God's help. When we witness, we must understand that our personality and our abilities will never save a soul. It is the power of God. And so he tells his disciples to wait until they are filled with the Holy Spirit and then go out and be that witness that he has commanded them to be. And so we find at the beginning of chapter number 2, they received the filling of the Holy Spirit after 10 days of praying in one accord. And then we come to our text and we find that the Apostle Peter sets out to preach with the filling power of the Holy Spirit. What we read in our text is a portion of the sermon in which Peter is now preaching. I want to share with you this morning what his message was. What was the message that Peter preached? Again, we find in verse number 22, the Apostle Peter says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. What was the message that Peter was preaching? He was preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. His message was that of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning of verse 22, what we find is Peter is bringing the crowd, bringing the multitudes into remembrance. He is reminding them of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse number 22, hear the words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. What Peter is reminding the crowd of is that this Jesus was unlike any other man. Jesus was unlike anybody else that has ever walked the face of the earth. He says to them, God by him performed many miracles, many wonders, and many signs. He is saying to the people that Jesus was unlike any other man. He was a man that was approved of God. And it is obvious, it is evident that he was approved of God. Otherwise, how could he do the wonders? How could he perform the miracles? How could he show the signs that he showed unless he was sent by God? And so he is reminding them... These people saw the Lord Jesus Christ. They were alive at the same time that Jesus was alive. And as Jesus walked upon the face of this earth, His fame was widespread. Many had either witnessed with their own eyes or had heard about the fame of Jesus. Many had seen the miracles which He had performed. They saw with their own eyes. They had heard how the blind had received their sight, how the lame was made to walk, how the 5,000 were fed with just a little boy's lunch. Even many had witnessed the actual raising of Lazarus from the dead. He was unlike any other person that ever walked this earth. And Peter is reminding them, look at the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember this man, approved of God. You saw the wonders. You saw the signs. You saw the miracles. He was unlike any other while Jesus was on the earth, oftentimes the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees who did not believe that He was the Christ, 
tried many times to trap the Lord Jesus Christ with their knowledge of the Word. They would try to get the Lord to contradict the Bible. And yet we find again and again through, through the Bible, through Scripture, in the presence of many people, many would be gathered around as the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees would challenge our Lord. And they found over and over that they were no match for Jesus' wisdom because Jesus is the Word. He cannot contradict the Bible because He is the Word of God. He wrote every word. He inspired every word of the Bible. And Peter is telling them in verse number 22, at the end of the verse, he says here, God did these in the midst of you as ye yourselves also know. What Peter is saying is you know this, you've seen this, you have to understand that Jesus was unlike any other because you saw with your own eyes the miracles that He did. You saw that He was approved of God. You know this to be true. You saw it for yourself. What Peter is doing is he is setting the stage for everybody that is in attendance of this sermon to have no excuse he is getting rid of all the excuses that they may have had and is proving to them that he was a man approved of God and they knew it. They saw it. They witnessed it with their own eyes. He is preaching Jesus Christ. That's his message. Move down to verse number 23. Now that he has laid the groundwork, now that he has proven to them that God, Jesus was approved of God and they saw it with their own eyes, in verse 23, his message moves on to the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 23 says, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Peter's message to the crowd was Jesus Christ crucified. Though this was a terrible thing to behold, to be there, to be present as Jesus Christ was hoisted up upon that cross, to see His visage so marred that He was unrecognizable, to see the agony and the punishment that His body took. But He did so for the sin of the world. He did so for you and for me. And though it was a terrible thing to behold, and it is a sobering thing for you and I to look back and to remember and to think about what Jesus had done for us, we praise God for the crucifixion. Praise God that Jesus was willing to go to that old rugged cross because had Jesus not gone to the cross, had He not been willing to take our punishment in His body, we would have no hope of eternal life. Praise God for the crucifixion. In verse 23, Peter is reminding them that Jesus Christ, who had recently been crucified, many were there, many witnessed it. And he says in verse 23, this little word, ye, whom ye have taken. Look down in verse number 36 as well. In verse 36, the Bible says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Both in verse 23 and in verse 36, Peter looks directly at the crowd, the mobs of people, and says to them, Ye have crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. He is bringing them into remembrance, and he is very rightfully so, placing the blame on the multitudes of people that he is preaching to. He is placing the blame on them who had delivered the Lord Jesus Christ to be crucified. This blame was rightfully given. It was rightfully given because it was the crowds. It was the mobs of people that cried out on that night of the Lord's crucifixion, 
Crucify Him! Release Barabbas! Crucify Him! And the multitudes there were guilty of giving the Lord Jesus Christ over to be crucified. There is no doubt that in this moment, as Peter is preaching, that those that were in attendance the night of Jesus' crucifixion, they were there, they watched Him be crucified. Now they're standing and they're listening to Peter with the Spirit-filling power preached to them, bringing into remembrance what they have done to the Lord. I would imagine that in this moment, those words, crucify Him, crucify Him, are haunting their memory as they listen to Peter speak. No doubt those words are resonating in their minds. They're haunting the memory of those that stood by and watched as Jesus was crucified. The blame was rightfully given. The crowd he was speaking to was the crowd that had given Jesus to be crucified. But the blame was rightfully given, and more importantly, because of their sin. Because of their sin. It was their sin, those in attendance, it was their sin that drove the Lord Jesus Christ to the cross. Do you realize this morning, had it not been for their sin and for our sin, there would never have been a reason for Jesus to be crucified. The only reason that He was crucified was to pay for the sin of the world because our sin deserves punishment. And there is a payment that we can never pay in and of ourselves. We needed that precious blood of Jesus Christ willing to suffer for our sins upon that cross. And so... This blame was rightfully given. He says to them, Whom ye have crucified, whom ye by wicked hands have crucified and slain. And he is bringing to remembrance their sin that put Jesus Christ upon that cross. The Bible here teaches that it was not solely the blame of those in attendance, but again, we are guilty as well. It was our sins that put Jesus Christ upon that cross It was our shame and our guilt that allowed the Lord Jesus Christ to suffer agony and shame. Each and every one of us had a part in His crucifixion that night. The Bible says that when Jesus went to the cross, He bore in His own body the sin of the world. That is, He made a sacrifice one time for all sin for all time. He was not only paying for the sin of those that were there, though He cried out on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But Jesus had eternity in mind. I was on His mind. You were on His mind. And He was that night paying for our sins, every sin we would commit. From the beginning of time, He paid all of our sin. He, being a loving and merciful Savior, the Bible says, came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to pay the sin debt of the world that we could never pay. You see, this morning, you must understand, we are sinners, and that our sin must be punished. And the only reason Jesus came, the Bible says, was to seek and to save that which was lost. When the Bible says that which was lost, you can put your name in it. That is us. We are born sinners. We are born lost and undone. And Jesus, out of love, Jesus, out of mercy, came so that He could go to the cross knowing all along what His destiny would be. And yet the Bible says that when He went to the cross, there was no resistance. The Bible says, as a lamb before its ears is dumb, so He opened not His mouth. Though Jesus could have protested, though Jesus had all power to resist the cross, He went willingly. Not one time did He resist going to the cross. Not because He enjoyed the shame and the agony, 
but because there was a greater goal, there was a greater love, a love that He had for you and for me, knowing that if He would go to the cross, He would pay for the sin debt of the world. And Peter, in verse number 23, is reminding us and reminding the people of the crucifixion of the Lord. Again, verse 23, "...whom ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain." He moves on to verse number 24, and Peter moves from the crucifixion unto the resurrection. Notice verse 24. "...whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it." What Peter is telling the people at this moment is that death could never defeat our Lord Jesus Christ. He conquered, the Bible says, death, hell, and the grave. God raised up the Lord Jesus Christ, showing that He was satisfied, that God the Father was satisfied and well-pleased with the sacrifice of the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You realize, when we're born, we are born sinners. And the problem is that we have a God who is a holy and righteous God, and God the Father cannot allow sin into His presence then how can I, as a sinner, be allowed in the presence of a holy God? I can't. There's no way that I could ever make it into the presence of God. And so Jesus must have gone to the cross. He shed His precious blood, His sinless blood, for the sin of the world. In verse 24, the Bible says, Whom God, the Father, God, hath raised up, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, from the dead, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. After Jesus Christ was crucified and buried, the Bible teaches us that three days later, God resurrected him from the dead, bodily risen again. And that is proof to us that God the Father's holiness and righteousness and justice was satisfied by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf. He proved Himself after His resurrection alive by many infallible proofs among many witnesses. He walked around. He showed Himself to the disciples. He showed Himself to the apostles. He showed Himself to others around so that there would be no denying the power that Jesus had risen from the dead. He tells them again, as we read in verse 22, You know this. You have seen the resurrected Christ. There is no excuse. He is risen. He is risen indeed. It is fact, it is proof. Jesus is alive today, and He is alive forevermore. The resurrection is everything. Had Jesus not risen again, again, we would have no hope for salvation. Had Jesus been buried and stayed in that tomb, had He never come up out of that tomb, what good is a dead God? He would have no power, but praise God, He is the one and only true and living God, and He had enough power that death could not conquer Him. He conquered that death, that hell and the grave, and He came up alive forevermore. And Peter is preaching unto them, Jesus crucified, Jesus risen again, because it is not possible that the Lord Jesus should be holden of death. It's not possible. Death has no power over the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter's message is Jesus, crucified, risen again. And look in verse number 36 with me. Peter preaches unto them, Jesus, the Lord, and the Christ. Verse number 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, that Jesus whom you saw with your own eyes, Jesus of Nazareth, 
whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Why in the world would the mobs and the multitudes the night of Jesus' crucifixion give Him over to be crucified? Why would they cry out, crucify Him and release Barabbas? It's because they did not believe. They did not understand. They did not comprehend that Jesus was the Christ. That Jesus was the Messiah they had looked for. If they knew it, if they had recognized, had they understood He was the Messiah, they would have never cried out, crucify Him. And now, their eyes being opened, now under the preaching of Peter's voice, the Holy Spirit is confirming to them, this is truth. Jesus is Christ. Jesus is the Lord. The one whom ye have by wicked hands crucified is the Lord. He is the Messiah. Peter affirms to them that this Jesus that they had witnessed the miracles of, this Jesus that they have by wicked hands given over to be crucified, this Jesus whom they have seen alive after His resurrection is truly Lord and truly the Christ. Peter here, what he's doing in these verses His message is He is delivering unto the multitudes the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is preaching to them the good news of Jesus Christ, how that He died on the cross for our sins, was buried, and rose again the third day. That's the good news of Jesus Christ, that we have an escape from hell. It is possible for you and I to have an eternity in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the message when Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit that God impressed upon him to deliver to the people. You see, Peter in this moment is being obedient to the Lord. He had just been given instruction to be a witness in all the world. As soon as he was endued with power from on high, the beginning of chapter 2, he receives the filling of the Holy Spirit. He's been in prayer. He's been asking God to fill him with His Holy Spirit to enable him to go out and preach. And the very moment he is filled with the Spirit, he is obedient. He doesn't delay. He doesn't stop to think about it. He has got the power of the Holy Spirit. He's obedient to God. And immediately, he takes the first opportunity to stand up and to boldly preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I tell you what our churches need more today than ever before is the bold preaching of the glorious gospel. Not only from behind the pulpits, but God has proclaimed, God has declared, God has commanded each and every one of us as believers to be witnesses. Not only from the pulpit, but God's commanded us to go out to get out of the church walls, to go to people where they are with the gospel, to tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. And there has never been a greater need in the world than there is today for God's people to boldly go out and tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be witnesses. The last instruction that Jesus gave before returning into heaven was to be a witness. The final instruction... You know, usually when somebody is upon their deathbed, they're toward the end of their lives, and they have last words. Those words carry a lot of weight. They've got limited time to say what they want to say, limited time to say what is important to them, what is the most important thing. And Jesus, before going back into heaven, is giving to His disciples and giving to you and I through His Word, what is the most important thing? What are the last words, the last words of instruction from Jesus? He says, be a witness. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the uttermost part of the world, be a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So, so Peter here is preaching the glorious gospel. He is preaching with the power and the filling of God. And watch this. When powerful, spirit-filled preaching meets with old sinners like you and like me, there's only one proper response. There's only one reasonable response that can happen. Look in verse number 37. The response that the people have as they've listened to the powerful preaching of the gospel. Verse number 37, the Bible says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? You notice when powerful, God-filled, spirit-filled preaching of the gospel meets with old, wicked sinners like you and like me, the only proper response, the only reasonable response we find in verse 37, first of all, the Bible says they were pricked in their hearts. This is the work of the Holy Spirit of God. As the Word is preached, as God's Word is declared, the Holy Spirit begins to open our understanding, both teaching us the principles of God's Word, both helping us to understand what the Bible says, and also the Holy Spirit begins to confirm the truth of His Word to us. As Peter is preaching, as he says to them, Ye have crucified Jesus, and that Jesus whom you crucified is the Lord, is the Christ, He is the Messiah. You missed it. As Peter is boldly preaching God's Word, the Holy Spirit at the same time is working in the hearts of the people, opening their understanding, teaching them that it's truth, confirming in their hearts and confirming in their spirits that everything Peter is preaching is true. He was the Messiah. He is the Messiah. He's the Lord. And as myself, as Pastor Woodard or Brother Banffy or Pastor Andy or whoever it is stands up and preaches God's Word, the Holy Spirit begins to move throughout hearts and throughout minds, confirming the truth of His Word, teaching us, opening our understanding. And as the words resonate in the ears of the people here in Acts chapter 2 that Jesus is the Christ, as these words echo in their mind that ye have by wicked hands crucified the Messiah, they're remembering the day they stood by and watched Him die. The Holy Spirit begins to prick their heart. This pricking of their heart, what that means is the Holy Spirit is bringing about conviction. He is confirming to them that they are guilty of their sin. They've sinned against God and their hearts are pricked by this. The Holy Spirit's convincing them of their sin. Confirming Jesus is the Lord and that they are sinners. That they are lost and they are undone. And they ask the only reasonable question that they can ask. Verse number 36, he says, excuse me, verse 37, They said unto Peter, to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? They've heard the gospel. They recognize, they've been confirmed of their guilt. Their sin has been confirmed. They realize their understanding has been open that Jesus not only was just a man, but the God-man. And they ask the question, what are we going to do? We're guilty, we're lost, we're undone. What are we going to do? That is the only reasonable response 
when being given the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you realize that any time the gospel is given, whether it's behind a pulpit, whether it's door to door, whether it's out and about, when you present the gospel to somebody, there is a question that must be answered. The gospel brings with it a question that must be answered. There is a response every time the gospel is given, and that response is either rejection or acceptance of what Jesus has done. When you present the gospel, rest assured the person to whom you speak to has a choice to make. They either accept what Jesus has done or they make a decision to reject. And so they ask the question, what am I going to do? What are we to do? Friend, can I tell you this morning that we ourselves are lost and undone without the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you've never come to the realization that you're a sinner and that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and you've never personally prayed and asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, to come into your life and save you, then you are guilty, you are lost, and you're undone, just like these in attendance during Peter's sermon. And so the question is, how can we be forgiven? And boy, the Apostle Peter here in the next verse is very quick to give that answer. Look with me in verse number 38. Verse 37, they says, What shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Peter says unto them, when, they're, when they ask the question, I'm lost, I'm guilty, I'm undone, what can I do to receive the forgiveness of my sin? Peter says unto them, repent, repent, repent and be baptized, repent, recognize your sin, recognize that you are guilty, recognize that you have disobeyed God. Our sin is anything we do, we say, or we even think that displeases God. Sin is when we have broken God's law, and the Bible says that our sin requires punishment. The wage of sin is death, eternal separation from God. And Peter says unto them, what can you do? You repent. You recognize your sin. You acknowledge that you're a sinner. Realize that sin separates you from God, and sin requires the punishment of death. But Jesus took that punishment. He paid for all sin for all time. And by faith, ask God to forgive you of your sins, to come into your life, and to save your soul from eternal damnation. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you recognize your sin and you realize your sin must be punished, and you pray and call out to God in faith, the Bible says He will save you. Peter's response to what can I do is to repent. Receive the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Accept Him as your Lord and your God. Verse 39 says, As many as the Lord our God shall call. Can I encourage you this morning? The Bible says that He will save as many as He will call. Can I answer the question for you? Who has the Lord called? How many has the Lord Jesus Christ called? He says, As many as He shall call can be saved. Well, how many has He called? Everybody. Jesus has called every individual to salvation. Not everybody accepts Him. I'm not saying that everybody goes to heaven. Not everybody will accept Jesus Christ. But God has made a way for every single soul to be born again if they would accept Jesus as their Savior. 
The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In Romans 10, 13, the Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever means everybody. When he paid for the sin of the world, he did not have specific elect people in mind. He paid for the sin of every single person that would draw breath upon this earth. He says, as many as God shall call, they have an opportunity to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you read that in verse 39, as many as the Lord shall call, you're included in that. All have been called. What shall we do about our sins? Repent. Recognize your sin. Trust in the Lord Jesus as your Savior. And then Peter says again, Repent and be baptized. Baptism, that first step of obedience following our salvation. Baptism, a beautiful picture of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not salvation. Baptism does not save a soul. Baptism has nothing to do with our salvation. He says to repent, trust Jesus, and after you've been saved, after you've received Jesus... Follow that first step of obedience, which is baptism. Showing that you want to be identified as a believer. What is the message that Peter preached in this occasion? It was the gospel. What is the message that you and I need to deliver to this lost and dying world? It's the gospel. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we get in the habit sometimes of sitting in our pew and we're comfortable in our pew and saying it's the responsibility of the pastor, and it's the responsibility of the workers of the church, and it's the Sunday school teacher's responsibility to evangelize, to invite others to church, to give the gospel. But no, God said, as a believer, you and I are to go into all the world and preach the gospel. That is a command given, not to those in spiritual leadership, but to every born-again believer. We must give the gospel. In closing this morning... I want you to see the blessings that this congregation received because of their obedience. The Christian life, if you were to boil down the Christian life to the very simplicity, the Christian life, being saved, walking with God, is faith and simple obedience. The Christian life is a life of obedience. And there are great blessings that come with our obedience. Look down with me, please, in verse number 41. Peter has preached the gospel. They have understood that they were sinners. And in verse number 41, we find that they were obedient to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in verse 41, Then they that gladly received His word, those that trusted in Jesus, those that had repented, were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. What took place? There was powerful, spirit-filled preaching that met with old, wicked sinners. And the Holy Spirit began to work in hearts, convicting and teaching and confirming the truth of God. And they were obedient to the preaching of God's Word. And when that happened, the Bible says there were about 3,000 souls that received Jesus as Savior. They were obedient to the gospel. Then they were obedient in baptism. They gladly received His Word. Then they were baptized. And then they were obedient in church membership. They were added to the church. About 3,000 souls. What happened? They received Christ. And then they got plugged into a Bible-preaching church 
where they could continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. This church grew tremendously in just one day. 3,000 souls added to the church in one day. And not only did this church grow tremendously in just one day, I want you to notice they did not cease in their obedience after their salvation. They didn't stop. Just because they were saved, they did not quit. You know, so often we're guilty of leading people to the Lord Jesus Christ, and then we mark them off our checklist, and we just leave them to fend for themselves, and they never grow. They never are discipled. They never get plugged into a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. But we find that this early church, 3,000 souls were saved, and they didn't stop. They continued in their obedience. They continued to grow in their knowledge of God. Notice with me, please, as we read the remaining verses in this chapter, beginning in verse number 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. I want you to see in closing that after their salvation, they continued in the apostles' doctrine. They continued in their doctrine. What was the apostles' doctrine? It was the Word of God. They continued daily in the Word of God. They just kept growing. They just continued to live in obedience to God. They continued to pursue the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a spirit of selflessness because of this. The Bible said they sold their possessions. They parted them to all men as every man had need. They were selfless. This church was united with one goal, the pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says they continued not only in one accord, but they were faithful to the house of God. Verse 46, they continued daily with one accord in the temple, praising God. They didn't just get saved, marked off that they've got insurance from hell, but they got plugged into church and they were faithful to church. They continued to pursue the Lord. They continued in the Word of God. And there were great blessings that came upon this church, great power that came upon this church because of their faith and obedience. Notice with me, please, the Bible says in verse 47 that the Lord added unto the church daily such as should be saved. In verse 47, God gave them favor with all people. Can I tell you what a blessing it is to have godly favor with people? When you have the favor of God with all people, you have opportunity for ministry. When there is favor with people, you have opportunity to give the gospel. They had favor with all people. This church, they did not have the backbiting and the discord and the gossip and the sowing of discord in this church. The Bible said they had all things common. They had favor with all people because they were united in their faith. They were obedient to God. They were saved and they continued to pursue God. God gave them favor with the people. Can you imagine a church today that was completely united without different cliques in the church, without any backbiting, without any discord, a church united in fellowship with God, that's power. And when you have favor with people, you have opportunity for ministry. 
Not only did God give them favor with the people, but God gave them daily such as should be saved. This early church, every single day there were souls added. Every day people were saved out of this church. Can I tell you, friend, it's wonderful when we have folks come on a Sunday morning and a Sunday night and a Wednesday night. They hear the gospel, they walk these aisles, and they trust Christ. That's wonderful. But even better than that is when our church members, on a daily basis, on Monday and Tuesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, are giving the gospel, and they come back on Sunday, and there's a host of souls that walk the aisle who have been led to Jesus by a church member throughout the week. This early church was a soul-winning church. God had blessed them tremendously. God gave them daily such as should be saved. I wonder often how our churches hinder the gospel because there's a spirit of discord, because there's a believer with an unruly attitude and we hinder the gospel and we hinder those that could be saved. But we find here a church united with one goal and where godly favor was daily There were men and women, boys and girls, coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. This early church is a great example of a church that pleased God. He was so pleased. He granted them favor. He granted this church tremendous growth spiritually and numerically. God gave them daily such as should be saved. And I ask this question as I close. Is it because that this church had some secret formula that you and I don't have today? Did they have such power and such influence because God gave this church something unique and something special that He's withholding from us? Not at all. They simply obeyed the call of salvation. They followed the first step of obedience in baptism. And every member continued every day in the Word of God. The entire church was in one accord with all things common, united in their pursuit of knowing God and being obedient to His Word. And all the blessings that God bestowed upon them, favor with people, salvations every single day, all the blessings this early church had, the power they had, is available to you and I today. This church didn't have a monopoly. They didn't have something unique that God has not given us. We have the same power accessible to you and I if we'll simply by faith be obedient and seek the Lord with our whole hearts, we can experience the same blessings, the same spiritual growth, the same power that this early church experienced. The question is, are you willing to place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? If you're saved, are you willing to be obedient as a witness every day? Are you willing, perhaps maybe... Uh, You had such passion and such vigor, but lately you've lost that passion. Are you willing to recommit yourself to the Lord and ask for that renewed passion? God can bless this church, and God is blessing this church. But we need that same power that He had in the book of Acts in this early church. Let's pray.